Welcome to the Serve Hour. Insightful, provocative, opinion-shaping conversations that matter. Your host is Jim Blackburn. During this broadcast, you'll hear from guests who are taking uniquely different approaches to life and their work environment, and you are invited to take part in the conversation. Now, here is Jim Blackburn. It's that time. Welcome to the Serve Hour in a conversation that matters. Wherever you are, And however you may be listening, thank you for making us part of your day. Our conversation topic for today is about the critically important responsibilities of business leaders that are too often overlooked. Why is this topic of importance? A major reason that many of today's businesses are in chronic struggle is the lack of understanding of the basic differences between leading and managing. Both roles are critically important, yet when you should be in one or the other is the challenge. Think about this. If you are in management and responsible for overseeing the work and productivity of other people, when should you be leading? And when you are leading, what are you doing? How are you spending your time? Conversely, when should you be managing? And when you are managing, what are you doing? And how are you spending your time? Our intention with today's conversation is to help clarify the answers to these questions, which will bring to light the important responsibilities of leaders that are too often overlooked. I'm Jim Blackburn, your host for today's conversation, and my special guest today is Chris King, the dynamic Director of Athletics for the newly formed University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. And as you will soon discover, much more as a person than his title indicates. Hello, Chris. Welcome. Welcome, Jim. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and your listeners over the next hour. Well, Chris, he is very well qualified to help me answer the questions above about when and how to lead and or manage. Chris is in his sixth year as director of athletics at the University of Texas Pan American and is currently transitioning into the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. He has led UTPA athletics through unprecedented growth while laying a foundation for continued expansion. His first major accomplishment was securing a spot for UTPA in the Western Athletic Conference, which provides for all UTPA student-athletes access to NCAA championship opportunities. Additionally, Chris has been responsible for building of a new soccer and track and field complex, securing the donation of a $6 million baseball stadium from the city of Edinburgh, and completion of close to $2 million in renovations, including a new weight room and renovations to the basketball and tennis facilities. Regarding UTPA student-athletes, Chris has championed dramatic improvement in the classroom, with the current departmental cumulative grade point average being 3.07 GPA. This past spring, 129 
of the 220 student athletes earned a 3.0 GPA or higher, including 18 4.0 GPAs. And the graduation success rate has increased from 54 to 75 percent from 2010 to 2015. Chris, again, welcome and thank you for taking time to participate in conversation with me today. And before we begin, I want to make sure our listeners know that we invite them to participate in conversation with us. So if you are listening live, you can call at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Or you can email me at jblackburn at serve. Partners, and that's spelled S-U-R-V-E, partners.com. If you are listening to our podcast, please feel free to email me, again, at jblackburn at serve, S-U-R-V-E, partners.com. Chris, at, at what point in your career did you realize managing and leading are distinctly different roles? That's a good question, Jim. Uh, you know, I think, you know, my career uh, had a, a pretty quick, um, I jumped up pretty quickly. You know, I was an assistant athletic director at the University of Central Florida, oversaw a number of different areas and a number of, uh, of support staff at the University of Central Florida. And I was fortunate enough at 29 years old to become an associate athletic director in the SEC at the University of Alabama, which, of course, I think everybody knows is one of the top athletic programs in the country. And at 36, uh, I became the director of athletics here at the University of Texas Pan American, which is, at the time, was one of the you know low resource institutions in Division One. So when you're looking at you know being an associate athletic director, you report to a director of athletics. I really served in in a, in a strong management role there, and of course you know becoming a a young athletic director uh, at age 36, you know I was thrown into a leadership role. One of the things I think. Um, when I arrived at UTPA, I kind of rolled up my sleeves the first couple of years. You know, we concentrated on our operational plans. I was very task-oriented in regards to my duties. You know, we were very strategic, I think, in our vision uh, to an extent, but our department, including myself, uh, was more about getting the work done mentality. Spent a lot of time on the operations. And so what I would say is the first few years uh, as the leader of UTPA, we were really tunnel vision on the operations and probably not more on the leadership development side. And I think it would be important to kind of explain what I inherited. You know, I inherited a $750,000 debt, a uh, culture without a vision, purpose, or core values, staffing issues, lack of staffing, lack of quality. Facilities were aged. They were non-existent. Uh, the student-athlete experience was poor. You know, the lack of culture of integrity. We were on a three-year NCAA probation sentence. And, you know, the most important, I think there was a lack of leadership development. And what I envision for UTPA athletics um, it was more of a seven-year plan, which most people will have a three- or five-year plan, but because we were so far behind, um, you know, we had a, a seven-year plan. And you know, we wanted excellent facilities. We wanted our annual budget increases so we can invest in our student-athletes. You know, we wanted to create a leadership development and success program. And, of course, we want to have competitive excellence and win championships. And we got to about year four. Uh, I think that was at the point that I realized I was being way too task-oriented, uh, and I think it was literally killing me. Uh, personally and professionally, and I knew that was at the point that I knew my department, and more importantly myself, needed to change. I needed to refocus on, you know, creating our future, 
both for myself and for our department, uh, in lieu of focusing really on those tasks and measurements and outcomes. And those are more items that, that managers focus on. And uh, we were at a crossroads uh, in year four. We were getting into a new conference. Our initial uh, strategic initiative, our operational plan was coming to an end. And I really need to refocus personally and professionally and reorganize my organization and structure because uh, I was doing too much. I was doing rather than leading. Chris, let me jump in for a second because you've said a couple of things here that I want to emphasize for our listeners. <clears throat> One, you talk about refocus. And I want to stress to our listeners that that term is critically important in your role as a management or leadership person. What you focus on grows, and it occupies your thinking and your time. So when, Chris, you mentioned, as I was listening to you, when you first got there, you were focused on facilities, things, measurements, outcomes, trying to get things back in place. Is that a fair statement? It is, and, and most of the time, you know, someone will come in and within six months to a year, you know, they'll put in a strategic plan, and, and we did that one year to the date I arrived, and I called it strategic initiatives, but it was more operational-based, and so to me, it was more an operational plan rather than actually being audacious and, you know, creating the future is what we would call it. That, that is the other point I want to make. Um, there's a lot of buzzwords thrown around in business, i.e. strategic plans. And my experience, and Chris, you just highlighted that, is most strategic plans are actually budgets. And they are actionable budgeting plans. Whereas what you just mentioned about creating a future um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I think when, when you take a look at an operational plan, uh, a lot of times there's no benchmarks, there's, 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 or it's, it's all about benchmarks and, and, and metrics. And for me, when you talk about creating the future, it's not about the tasks, the outcomes, the measurements, and things. It's more, and, and I learned this, um, to be able to, take us to that next level and create the future that, that I need to be more of a leader that focused on people, my staff, uh, beliefs, our values, which is our culture within our department, and, of course, developing meaningful relationships both on and off campus. And that transition, you say, occurred at about year four? It did. I remember specifically because in December uh, of 2012, um, we became a member of the, the Western Athletic Conference. We had been an independent for 15 years. And, you know, the University of Texas uh, Pan American is not Notre Dame or BYU, and it was very difficult to have success as an independent. And, and so it was a huge, huge deal for this institution. Uh, but knowing we had to go to the next level, um, I couldn't continue doing the way we were doing things uh, because both myself uh, as well as our department, because as I said, I was killing myself, uh, I was burnout, and I needed to kind of refocus myself, reorganize our organization and, and the hierarchy to some extent for us to take that next step forward. And I knew there was going to be a little bit of chaos because we needed to create a new plan. Uh, we needed to be able to create the future. I needed to focus more on the talent that we had uh, here uh, within our department. And so, you know, at that point is, uh, I guess, whenever you and I kind of got to know each other and, and went through that uh, six-month transformation process. 
Well, let me touch on something here because what you've just said again is huge. Typically, and, and you've just shared it, people will change as a result of pain. And you're talking about working too hard, overwhelmed, et cetera, et cetera. But as you started to change, and we touched on this, uh, Chris, uh, with my guest last week, uh, Susan Nastasi, about change causing loss. As you started changing, what were some of the losses you started experiencing personally? Well, you know, my career was going well at the time. I mean, I received a four-year extension, and uh, everybody on campus, you know, really was starting to look at athletics in a different perception. And, you know, I had a healthy raise and had a very supportive president, but uh, very supportive president, excuse me, but I knew I was at a crossroads. And if you're true to yourself as a leader, uh, you know when you're truly being successful and impacting others, and, and I didn't feel I was doing that. And so I think, you know, some of the losses that I experienced was, you know, moving into this new, what I would consider leadership model to take us to that next level, and I was focusing more on the talent, I had to kind of give up the familiar for the unfamiliar and give up my identity a little bit, and I had to change myself in order for this department uh, to have significant growth, you know, rather than worrying about the tasks and measurements and outcomes, and that's difficult because, you know, I had had success early on in my career, you know, based off of, you know, the familiar, and I was able to move up very quickly. But for me to get to that next level and to take this athletic program to the next level, I had to go into the unfamiliar. Uh, I think one of the things that was difficult, uh, and it was a loss for me, was giving up those day-to-day operations that I love to deal 100% and spending time with people, uh, putting and making sure that our beliefs and values and culture were in place, as well as developing relationships on a day-to-day basis, which helps us move this program uh, into the future. One of the unique things that I found out, which was a good loss through this process, was I really got tired of dealing with what you call those staff that are observer critics. And going through this transformation process, I think one of the best things that happened is I was learned how to quarantine those staff no longer on my senior staff because they didn't believe in what our vision, our values, our beliefs were moving forward. And in many of them, as we went through this transformation process that we'll talk about later on, I lost the staff, and that's a great thing. Uh, we were really able to grow by losing some of these individuals. Now, that's difficult because sometimes it's, tar- it's hard to, to, to let staff go, and, and leaders a lot of times will be comfortable in the familiar rather than going out and understanding that this staff member really uh, is hurting your organization. Uh, and I think one of the, the last things I'd tell you that I felt like as far as some of the losses that I experienced, and probably one of the biggest ones, was I learned how to deal with my blind spots. Uh, I think everybody really is challenged to admit that they have blind spots. We all do. Uh, I think the biggest blind spot that, that came out through this process for me was, uh, one, I wasn't focusing on my staff enough, but it was more on the tasks and outcomes that I talked about. But what I would do is I get frustrated. Things have to be done at a certain time. You know, I'm, I'm big in organization, time management. And so instead of holding them accountable, I would actually just go and finish it myself. So how is that employee ever going to grow, you know, if I serve as their crutch and do their job for them? So I think this transformation process really brought out uh, some significant, what I thought were losses, but actually has helped me become the leader and administrator I am today. Chris, what you just said, and <laughs> you said a lot, uh, I want to kind of, uh, circle back around, and then we're going to take a break. 
because uh, we're touching on a number of things here that I really want our listeners to have some takeaways. One is you mentioned right there at the closing that you were impatient with certain things and you would go just do it yourself. That's something that happens to all of us when we are trying to implement a new behavior or to change. Pain causes us to go back to what we know. And typically what happens when your uh, budgets or your targets are off, you will jump back to what you are, what got you there, quite frankly. And knowing you as I do, I know you're very task-oriented and a doer. So when we come back from the break, I want to talk a little bit more about how difficult that is for you to let your people fall short and how you relate to those people when they do fall short. Because this is another point that I want to make. When you're leading a high-growth organization, you will be disappointed more than you're pleased. And the reason for that is, is that you're stretching people. You're asking people to do things they've never done before. And when you react to that in certain ways, you can literally sabotage everything that's going on. I call it throwing hissy fits. And too many of us go back to our adolescent behavior when we're not getting what we want. Um, So I want to talk about how you are relating to the people. The other thing you mentioned were observer critics for I would imagine for most of our listeners, they don't know what that is. So we'll come back after break and talk about three classes of your talent pool. The supporter participants, which make up about 20% of your workforce. The observer critics, which make up about 20% of your workforce. And then all the rest. So with that, Chris, let's take a break. And for our listeners... This is the Serve Hour, and you are in conversation with host Jim Blackburn and special guest Chris King, the athletic director of the U University of Texas Rio Grande Valley, discussing the important responsibilities of business leaders that are too often overlooked. And you're on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll be back soon. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. 
If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Tune in every week for the Ellis Martin Report. Our program will bring you the news and information that you need each week. We look at publicly traded small and mid-cap companies from a variety of sectors. We'll talk to key people in the industry to bring you the foreground and background of new and -and up-and-comers for potential investment. Please remember, invest only at your own risk. The Ellis Martin Report is meant for informational purposes only. Tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is the Serve Hour. We know you have something to say, so take part in our conversation today. Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to jblackburn at servepartners.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back to our conversation about the important responsibilities of business leaders that are too often overlooked. I'm Jim Blackburn, your host, and I'm in conversation with Chris King, the Director of Athletics at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you. Um, Hated to cut us off uh, prior to the break because you were on a roll, Chris, and I want you to talk some more. And specifically, I want you to tell us about your transition from being task-oriented which really was your success, getting things done and just doing stuff. I can just hear the athletic director saying, if we've got something we have to get done, give it to Chris. And changing from that to being intentions-oriented. And by intentions-oriented, I'm referring to creating opportunities for other people to get things done, working through and with other people. How difficult was that for you? Well, I mean, it was really difficult. I mean, I think I, I really felt like what made maybe an extraordinary manager was, you know, I always had the ability to stay on top of every single phase of the program. There was nothing happening in the department that I wasn't aware of and wasn't involved in and directing or managing. And one thing I had to do was, you know, I had to change who I was uh, and not being so much of a manager and being more of a leader and, and being and creating opportunities for other people, for them to be the doers and me to be the leader. And you know, one of the things I did, uh, I'm, I'm in here at 7 o'clock, 7.15 every morning central time, and, you know, and I'm going at it. You know, I get, I'll get all the work off my desk before everyone shows up at 8 o'clock, and I really was wasting that hour. And so what I started doing was I started working on myself, and you know, I began each day with what I call my quiet time, and I'd write down and, and I'd record you know, what my gratitude moments were from the day before. Uh, I think that was important. It reminds you of what's important in life, whether it was personal or professional, you know, I'd write down my intentions for the day. You know, I plan out, you know, the week, the month, 30, 60, 90 days, annual down the road, but I thought it was really important. What are my intentions for that day to, to get accomplished? And, you know, I started realizing that a big part of, of who we were as a department was relationship-based, and, and I use those three words, developing meaningful relationships. And so I would write down what relationship opportunities or contacts I had for the day. And then, of course, you know, a to-do list, which would, had to be realistic. And so what I was doing was I was starting my day off about people, and I was able to start thinking more at the 30,000-feet level rather than the doing 
uh, part of it. And one of the things I did was I actually clarified uh, all of our functions for our staff, and I, I divided it up in what I called our seven high-growth contributors, and, and they all had their critical functions of the department. And, you know, we reorganized, and, and that was able to kind of push a lot of that off my desk and so I could focus on the people, focus on our values and the culture of our uh, department. And, of course, the important part of it is developing those meaningful relationships. And you know, I think once we set those critical uh, functions and, and that was allowing me to, to do more leading and those, those key critical uh, staff were, were able to kind of focus more on the functions. And uh, I think that's when uh, I think the transition really started for us uh, and myself personally. Chris, you have used the word focus probably ten times so far in our conversation here. I want to clarify that a little bit for our listeners. My experience in working with business people is when I observe and listen to them and observe them in action, I make a distinction between them focusing on things, measurements, outcomes, and results, or people, beliefs, behaviors, and relationships. When I ask a business leader about success, when they give me measurements, when they give me rankings, when they give me market share, when they give me things, I know they're more a manager than a leader. Now, that's not bad, other than it will limit, as Chris was pointing out, how far they can go because they're doing everything and they're controlling everything. Conversely, when a leader or manager is focusing on people, beliefs, behaviors, and relationships, they can then pay attention to the things the measurements, the outcomes, and the results. Why? Because those people are now responsible for those things. So, Chris, let's talk about this. What you focus on grows and occupies your time. Doers focus on things. Influencers focus on people. Let's start with what you, how you were focusing and let's break it down into you leading your people, orchestrating, which is a form of leading, and validating how your people are performing. Let's start with the leading, creating, communicating, clarifying, purpose, destination statements, value propositions, student-athlete value propositions, community value proposition, university value proposition, etc. How, when you focused on that and when you were working on that, you were touching on it, how was that contributing to what was going on there at UTPA? Well, I, you know, I think any good organization has a mission statement, a vision statement. Uh, you know, they have core values. Um, we had those. I didn't feel like we were actually fulfilling uh, on what we said, who we were, and how we go about things and how we make decisions. And you know, the culture and setting expectations for my staff was really important, and I kind of had to refocus on that. And one of the things uh, we did was we spent an awful lot of time on uh, creating a vision statement, uh, really creating what our purpose for Bronx Athletic was, and then setting our core values and making sure that we lived by those core values. We unveiled what was called the Bronx Standard, 
Um, you know, when we publicized it, uh, it was it was very important to me. Uh, I thought it was something that allowed our entire uh, staff to kind of uh, rally behind. Uh, you know, I can read off our vision statement. Uh, the UTPA, Department of Collegiate Athletics, will become the standard of Division I college athletics, the nationally recognized program excelling at the highest level of competition while preparing our student-athletes for excellence in life. We want to become the standard in everything we do. Um, no matter, every decision we make is based off of preparing our student-athletes for excellence in life from the time we recruit them until the time we graduate. And so we started refocusing uh, our entire plans, you know, uh, creating the future uh, on this premise. And, and, and it's our student-athletes. That's who we serve. Uh, that's our mission. Uh, and then, of course, our core values, you know, what we value. And, and we value contribution. We value growth and innovation. We, you know, we value a, a culture of integrity, you know, pride, of course, with intercollegiate athletics. And then, you know, our, our other core values were quality, uh, respect, and responsibility. Uh, and so I think uh, that really kind of set the stage for us to move to that next level and sustain our recent successes. Okay, folks, here's, here's what you just heard. Um, one of the critically important responsibilities of business leaders that is too often overlooked is exactly what Chris King just spoke to. We refer to that as creating what yet can be from what already is. What's the pull? Where are you going with this? And notice his mission. He isn't, as he said earlier, that little university down on the Mexican border of the United States. He's stating he's setting standards that all universities will be striving to match with. What's the student-athlete? Where does that fit in there? What about their experience, Chris? Well, I mean, everything we do revolves around our student-athletes. And, you know, we refocused, you know, back in 2012 on our student-athletes and, and the student-athlete experience. And as we go into the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley here in 2015, our next five-year strategic plan, which uh, is a strategic plan, it is going to be audacious in nature. and We are creating the future for this new university uh, our number one uh, priority is our student-athlete experience, and we want to have a culture of leadership uh, development for our student-athletes. We want a culture of success. And so everything we do, every decision we make, is going to revolve around telling our story uh, of our student-athletes and how we prepare them for excellence in life. Very proud of that, um, the last two years of getting to the point where we're at. But now we're going to take it to the next level. Um, I want everyone to know what we're creating with our student-athletes. You know, we're going to create success for them uh, based on their academics, based on leadership development, and based off of their service. And so when they come out uh, and graduate, you know, young men and young women, they're prepared with the proper life skills for to get out into the world. And one thing I know I've told you many times, Jim, is for me is, you know, the success for me as an athletic director is not today, it's not tomorrow, it's 10 to 15 to 20 years from now. When these young men and young women uh, come back to this university and say they had a world-class experience. You know, I joke with them all the time at graduation. I tell them, you know, when you make your first million, invest it. When you make your second million, donate it back to the program. This is a great place for us to take our next break, Chris. Um, I, I, I think I might start uh, my second uh, educational career back um, down where you are. But it's time for us to break. So when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Chris uh, on this idea of focus, 
This is the serve hour, and you are in conversation with the host, Jim Blackburn, that be me, and our special guest, Chris King, discussing the important responsibilities of business leaders that are too often overlooked. And you're on the Voice America Business Channel. We will be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You've heard of good things coming in packages. Well, maybe there's a little more to that saying, but when you think about it, packaging is one of the most important things that can represent your business. Tune in to Ditch the Box with host David Marinak. Each week, we'll discuss flexible packaging, marketing, sales, and how it all comes together in one container. Lower costs, increase margins, listen to the show. It might just save you a ton. Ditch the Box is heard live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Business. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is the Serve Hour. We know you have something to say, so take part in our conversation today. Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to jblackburn at servepartners.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to our conversation regarding the important responsibilities of business leaders that are too often overlooked. I'm Jim Blackburn, your host, and I'm in conversation with special guest Chris King discussing the important responsibilities of business leaders that are too often overlooked. Chris, let's go from leading to orchestrating. And let me expand uh, for our listeners what you and I mean when we talk about orchestrating. It's attracting developing, retaining, and weeding or graduating talent. And it's assembling, organizing, and activating talented teams. Can you talk to us a little bit, Chris, about how your focus on that has changed and how it's impacting what you're doing there at UTPA? Absolutely. You know, I wrote down a quote uh, uh, on this section, and it's one that I use all the time. I, I had this, uh, we just had a departmental meeting two weeks ago on what's next as we move into uh, University of Texas Rio Grande Valley, and I started off uh, the, the meeting when we were talking about what it's going to take to move to the next level and become the standard, not just of the WAC, but of Division One and nationally, and uh, the quote goes like this. It says, I think the ideal la- leader for the 21st century will be one 
who creates an environment that encourages everyone in the organization to stretch their capabilities and achieve a shared vision, who gives people the confidence to run further and faster than they have ever before, and who establishes the conditions for people to be more productive, more innovative, more creative, and feel more in charge of their own lives than they have never dreamed possible. That's a strong, strong quote. And I say that because this part is really the favorite part of my job. Um, the process for me, for us to move uh, this athletic program to the next level and become the standard, our department needs the talented, high-growth individual and team contributors. Um, you know, we need to attract, develop, retain the high-potential, high-performance professionals and staff. And we've had a lot of continuity uh, the last couple of years in our senior staff. They've really bought into this trans- transformational change. Um, you know, I think... You know, our department values growth and change, and, and this requires individual and department-wide accountability. One of the things I think prior to me going through this transformation process is we had accountability, but it was based off my background of compliance rather than telling people what they need to hear, which promotes growth, rather than what they want to hear, which, of course, as we know, promotes status quo. And then I think, lastly, I think my desire is to have a productive, collaborative, inclusive culture of athletic professionals and support staff. And we do that by developing meaningful relationships within our department. Uh, I think we also know that successful teams share the same characteristics. And if we do those three things, um, we are going to define UTRG athletics as a new standard for the WAC and Division I institutions. Wow. Um, as you were speaking, I got hit with an email here, Chris, and, and I want to I bring the email up because it, it's touching on what you and I are talking about. It's from Gary, and, and he says, could you ask Chris how it felt as he made the change from a focus on things to a focus on people? He says two key aspects can be painful and hard. When you're focusing on people, measurements become ambiguous. So how do you and your boss know you're doing well? Metrics are simpler. And the second point he asked about is people both create elation but also let you down. How do you avoid being hurt by the people who are letting you down? So, Chris, why don't you take the first part of this, the fact that you're focusing on people. So do the measurements and the metrics become more ambiguous? Uh, What I would tell you is what I've done uh, with our, our senior staff is, uh, and I know we're moving ahead a little bit, but I think it's, no, it's no, important I, to answer this question is, you know, I define what their roles and responsibilities were. Uh, at the end of the day, they have to own what their roles and responsibilities are. So we, we actually have, I sat down with every one of them. You know, we went through what I call a growth enhancement process. And, you know, I wanted to know in their roles and responsibilities, you know, what are their deliverables? What's their overall performance? You know, what's their contributions to the organization? What are my expectations for the organization we agreed to that. And so, every, as I said, every employee should own their roles and responsibilities, and they need to step up and be a contributor. Uh, we defined what their duties, their tasks, and their actions were, because if a staff member oversees the function, if they depart for a month or they depart for another job, you know, what would the new staff member do on a daily, weekly, monthly, or an annual basis? Nothing should change. We should continue working you know, uh, on uh, as a department, uh, because we've already defined that, what the responsibilities and deliverables are. You know, I have them, you know, list out to me what their meaningful relationships. We talk about that on a regular basis because that's a big part, you know, of who we are, you know, as far as developing relationships. That's one of our core values. And then we go through, and this this would be a whole other, you know, 
uh, well, talk I'm itself. Gonna, Chris, I'm gonna ju- I'm gonna jump in a minute. But I'm gonna slow you down a little bit because you're throwing a ton at us. <laughs> uh, what, what I'm hearing you say, though, in answering Gary's question, is it's not ambiguous. It's actually clear. Is you what I'm hearing you say is you're focusing on people in ways that they are committing to creating and producing versus just doing stuff. Um, Correct. Correct, and I apologize. Expand. I get excited no, about no, this part no. of it because this I'm is excited. something that I've watched, I I've watched some time. of our staff become really high-growth contributors going through this process, and it excites me watching the progress. Can, um, you, can you give an example of some of your staff that have grown under your watch? Yeah, we, we have, a, we have a, a young lady on our staff who was a volleyball player here. Uh, she became a graduate assistant uh, my first year uh, as the athletic director, and she's moved up to a director's role, an assistant athletic director's role, and now she sits at the top uh, of the external operations as an associate athletic director, and she really bought into uh, and owned her roles of responsibilities, and she's really become uh, not so much a doer, uh, but she's someone that's starting to lead her staff and she's doing what I work with her on on a monthly basis with her staff, and it's what, really fun to watch. What is, what is she responsible for? She oversees our external operations, um, and so she oversees you know, revenue generation, marketing, communications, uh, brand management, licensing. Uh, it's an awful lot of responsibility for one person. And based off of um, what you would consider the measurements or outcomes uh, for her, we're actually hiring two additional staff at a senior level position and breaking out, and we're actually moving to that next level. She has created change. She has created the future in those areas for our department, and that is why we've had such – I mean, I can use an example. Our budget has increased almost double and some in six years uh, because we've been able to take ourselves to the next level because we're creating the future you know, through our people. Wow. Wow. Okay, so that's Gary's uh, first question. Let me go to Gary's second question. How, how do you avoid being hurt by the people who are letting you down, who are not buying in, who are not contributing at the levels that you expect? Well, you know, uh, Jim was going to talk a little bit about the three different categories of employees. I, I kind of have four. You know, I talk about the high-growth contributors. Those are the people I spend almost all my time with. Then you have your supporter participants. Uh, for me, those are those that are the mid-management um, and, and report to those high-growth contributors. And then you have what's called fence-sitters. Fence-sitters have a short period of time to either become a supporter participant or they're no longer part of our department. So I don't get disappointed anymore. What I do is I provide them direction. Uh, I tell them that, you know, we're going to focus on the people who want to be here. Uh, I'm going to focus on the talent that can create that change and take us to the next level. And I've had to have those hard decisions. I've had close, what I would consider colleagues, that I've told it's time to move on. And I can tell you, we talked about the observer critics already, and I've quarantined some of those, and some of those are no longer here. Because those are the cancers of your culture. You know, your culture, you know, is one of the most important things you do. It's not operational efficiency. It's, you know, I mean, it's not strategies. It's the culture. And so if you don't have the right culture, you're never going to be successful. You use the word quarantine, which sounds pretty harsh. (laughs) What do you mean by that? Well, I would say that, you know, when I first arrived here, um, 
you know, we had 32 staff. Now we're up to 55 staff, and we're going to add 12 more in the next two years. Um, so we have almost doubled our staffing. We have four people remaining, and I'm not the kind of guy that's just going to go out and fire people because, like I said, it's, it's, I mean, that's part of the bad loss from when we were talking earlier. It's not fun to do that. Anybody that enjoys letting people go or firing them is just not a good human being. Um, but you, sometimes you have to take people out of a senior staff role and put them in to where their skill set fits. Um, and if, if they don't change uh, and they're continually being critical of the culture, your values, your beliefs, and the expectations that are placed upon them for the organization to go to the next level, it's time for them to move on. Um, so I don't get disappointed any longer. I don't focus on people that bring me down or bring our organization down. There's a lot of high-growth contributors out there that you can bring on board, and that's what I focus on. I focus on the talent. Talk to us a little bit about your team. How do, how do you interact or how do your, the peers interact uh, within your athletic department? Can you share some of that? Well, I think one of the unique things we do uh, is we put together what we call, uh, or we created what we call the UTPA team, and they, they laugh at this. It's, it stands for Unique Transformational Peer Accountability. Uh, it's, more <laughs> of a peer, it's more of a peer accountability system. What we do, uh, we only meet once every two weeks. I don't meet just to meet. I'm not a big fan of that. Now, we do meet a lot, and, and, but, it, but it has to be meaningful. Uh, but we meet once every two weeks. Uh, I lead, uh, of course, uh, but I don't talk much. We have uh, one of the senior staff as a facilitator for the meeting. Uh, they basically facilitate the meeting. They ensure the distribution of all the materials um, that we, we have as far as what's called a spot report. Uh, they get that out by noon on Friday, so everyone in the senior staff can review, review those prior to our Monday morning meeting. We have someone who takes scribes, but what they do is they scribe what they're held accountable for that maybe didn't get done and everyone else in that group is a participant. What's unique about our group when we meet once every two weeks is we're creating the future. And so they are interacting together and talking about what's going on in the next two weeks, what's going on in the next month, and we're forecasting down the road, whether it's the semester or, or, or for the year. They work together in tandem that may get contentious at times. Uh, and other times it's really fun to watch now that we're two years down the road they all interact. Everything we do, every function, the key functions we have, they all interact. Um, there's, there's not, everyone kind of knows what everybody's doing. They know the meaningful relationships they're building. They know what their performance measurements are. Uh, so it, it's a really neat deal watching this group um, take us to the next level. And I just sit back and watch it because my job is to deal with people, beliefs, values, and, and relationships, and they're the ones that are the doers. And, and I tell them all the time, you guys are taking this program to the next level. Unfortunately, uh, I'm the one with the big paycheck that gets all the credit for it. <laughs> well, Chris, this is really interesting to hear this. Uh, I, I, I want to take you a step further with the validating, the lead, orchestrate, validate model that you have shared with me and that you and I have discussed when we're validating the talent development system, what we're doing is assessing, measuring, and monitoring the talent. It sounds like you're doing that process partly through this peer, peer accountability process. Is that a fair statement? 
No, it is. You know, we just hired a new general manager for corporate sales and sponsorships, and he's going through this process right now. And it's different. Uh, it was different for me whenever, you know, I started going through this process because, I mean, it all starts with it all starts with me at the end of the day. I'm the, I'm the leader of the organization. I mean, I had to transform myself, and you and I had some um, – uh, I, we had some discussions that, you know, could have probably hurt my feelings a little bit, and, and I'm sure that it's been that way with them. But they own their roles and responsibilities. That's why they're in the position they're, they're in. And, and so, and like I said, a part of it is that them, they're holding each other responsible for their responsibilities, the progress, the outcomes, and, 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 and they're, they're discussing what are our next steps, holding themselves accountable for timelines. Uh, and, and our results um, have really been... Uh, what I would consider, you know, moving us to this next level. And, and you know, the performance measurements is a key part. Uh, we sit down at the beginning of the year, and I tell them, here's how you're going to be measured, whether it's quantitative or qualitative. They accept that. And now it's, it goes back to where I talked about the individual and department-wide accountability. You know, they have a certain pride in knowing each of their key functions has to interact with the others to take us to the next level. I've watched in the beginning of doing this uh, process, several people were no longer with us because they could not keep up with the other high-growth contributors. And, and, and that is where you go back to the question about disappointment. There's no disappointment. They're just not, they're not on the bus anymore. We let them off at the stop. Take me, when, uh, let me jump to another area then. Let's go back to the orchestrating, the attracting. What do you look for? How, when you're recruiting, you're introducing a new um, person, like you just mentioned, uh, I think it was corporate sales. What do you look for in, the, in your new hires to see if, in fact, they're going to fit your culture? Well, number one, we're always looking for the right fit. And, and I know that's hard to define, um, but one thing I do uh, is I spend an awful lot of time with everyone who's going to be in that high-growth contributor category, our senior staff, um, from taking them to dinner to giving them the tour myself. But I have the other senior staff of the high-growth contributors involved actively because they're, every day they're with, they know what our program needs to take us to the next level. They're a big part. Of, like I said, they're the ones that have helped or basically, um, they're, they're a big reason for us getting to that next level. And so, you know, for me, um, their voice is very, very important because, you know, we're interviewing right now for a position that will be the fourth leg on our new, the way we look at our new organizational chart. It's no longer seven functions. We're down to four moving into the UTRGV, and the other three are actively involved in, in, in recruiting this fourth person. Um, I look for someone that, that understands our culture, uh, that understands and has the same values and beliefs that we have. Uh, and we talk a lot about developing meaningful relationships. If they're task-oriented uh, and they're doers, you know, that's good for a support staff role. But for, for where we're at in, in our organization and the next step we want to take, we need that person to actually, you know, be focused more on people, values, beliefs, and relationships. So does this feel kind of awkward when they're going, when they're being interviewed, et cetera, by future peers? Well, I mean, they're part of this team. And, you know, when they sit across this table every two weeks and they're peers and they're holding each other accountable, they got to make sure that person isn't going to bring us down. The last thing we need is to have another observer critic, you know, who's in the group or, 
doesn't fit the culture of what we're trying to do because if they don't fit the culture, it becomes a cancer. We're not able to create the future because that's a key function if they're part of that three or four uh, that's going to take us to the next level. I hope that makes sense. It makes, yeah, it does. But I want to ask a follow-up question on that now. When you are interviewing people, are you looking for people who've already done the job or are you looking for people who potentially can do the job because of certain personal characteristics that they possess? It depends. Um, it depends on the circumstance. Uh, here's an example. The, the general manager for corporate sales and sponsorships we just hired, uh, we were interviewing for an associate athletic director for development, which is a pure fundraiser. Uh, I've known him uh, for a while. He's a local guy. He's got a lot of talent. Uh, he's got a lot of contacts. He interviewed for the job. Blew us away. But he did not have the specific skill set, I felt, for development. Now, he, he could acquire it over time, but I felt, I mean, we could take our revenue in the corporate sales and sponsorships to the whole next level uh, with this guy. We could double in one year what we've been doing. So I go to the president and I say, look, I've got a guy who's, I mean, one of my high-growth contributors. He can double our revenue. We'll make a lot of money uh, for investing back into our student-athlete experience and uh, preparing our student-athletes for excellence in life. Let's create this position. It's not on the org chart. It's not, you know, in our strategic plan. And we created the position. He's on board now. We've already wow. generated about $100,000 in the last six weeks. Um, and so those are the types of things that you have to, you know, as environment changes, your plan changes, and, and, and your, your structure can change as well. Chris, uh, unfortunately, we're getting close uh, to the end of this time, and this has been spectacular. Um, I want to circle back with you, and, and let's, uh, let's just kind of summarize for our listeners. What is it that business leaders are too often overlooking? And the point that I've heard you make here is that they're overlooking people. They're, they're overlooking the critical element within the organization that, quite frankly, becomes the differentiator. Because as I listen to what you're saying about your high-growth contributors, that's a differentiator that other athletic departments are not going to be able to compete with. The other thing that you touched on, and I don't want to lose that, and, and I have a lot of people say to me over time, yeah, I get all that vision stuff, Jim, mission stuff, et cetera, et cetera, but I've got important things I've got to take care of. We got one. We can frame it. It's on the wall. You live it. And that's what most, again, leaders are overlooking. It's not something that you just put ink on paper about. It's something you live. And you've talked about the student-athlete experience. You've mentioned that over and over and over. And I would be surprised, and I'm speaking for our listeners now, that I, I don't think we have a listener out there that is not sold on the fact that you are living that, and that is really spectacular. So I want to thank you for that. Do you can you want to wrap up with anything short, and then I'm going to put a plug in for our next uh, week's broadcast. Yeah, I mean, I, w I would never want to say anything negative about any any other person's leadership style. I mean, I, I would just tell you that I lived it. In, in two and a half years ago, um, I was focused on what I feel uh, the wrong wrong things, to be honest with you. And so 
I think we've seen significant change um, because we focus more on people and the talent that we have here in this department. I think we've gone to the next level uh, because of that. I also think it's sort of fate. Uh, UTPA becomes UTRGV, and the resource will be provided to this new institution. But I think I, I, our, I've, I've got to jump in. We're okay. right up against the deadline. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being with us today, and I want to thank you, and thank you for being so open. Um, our next broadcast will be on the 17th. Our conversation will be about how to help high achievers overcome burnout, feeling overwhelmed with so much to do and so little time available, and who are struggling with what is popularly called work-life balance. Our special guest will be Nancy Broad, a former practicing CPA and a person who has reinvented herself personally and professionally while embracing this different way of thinking. Chris, I can't thank you enough. To our listeners, I hope that this has been for you what it has been for me. It's been the Serve Hour with host Jim Blackburn and special guest Chris King on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks for listening in. Thank you for listening to the Serve Hours Provocative Conversation. Please rejoin your host, Jim Blackburn, during the Serve Hour, each Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. 